Ruth chapter 4. Can anyone remind me what happened in Ruth chapter 3? Um, where did we leave off last week? Naomi was seeking to find rest for her daughter-in-law. And so she commands Ruth to go to Boaz and to... Um, after he had winnowed the field, we talked about what win- threshing and winnowing was, and after he had winnowed the field, um, she said, Ruth, go and uncover his feet and lay down at his feet, and he'll tell you what to do. And so he's asleep, she lays down, he wakes up, when he stirs, he finds a woman at his feet, says, who are you? She says, I'm Ruth. Um, she asks him to redeem her. He says, the kindness that you showed the last is better than the first. He says he will redeem, but what was the problem? What was the problem whereby he could not redeem her immediately? Evan, is that a hand? Twitch? Right. Yep, there was another man that had first right that was closer in relation, and so he had the, he had the responsibility, and therefore first right of redemption. However, Boaz swore an oath by the Lord that she would be taken care of either by him or by this other redeemer. If not this other redeemer, then him. He gave her a whole bunch of um, barley and sent her into the city. Ruth told her mother-in-law what happened and her mother-in-law said, sit still and wait before the end of the day. Remember, it was early in the morning. At that point, she stayed there that evening. She left before dawn before the light. She says, before the end of this day, this thing will be finished. Let's pick up in verse 1 of chapter 4. Then went Boaz up to the gate and sat him down there. He went to the gate. The gate was the city forum. We had talked in uh, Proverbs 31 last week about the Proverbs 31 woman and one of the things mentioned about the Proverbs 31 woman, verse 23, is that her husband uh, sits at the gate, is well known at the gate. The gate was the city form. It was just outside the gate of the city. It was an open area. And this was very characteristic in ancient civilizations, that they had an area just outside the city where there would be a forum, where the men of the city, the judges, the the renowned men, men of influence, would sit and would uh, make decisions for the city, would try cases, would do all of those sorts of things. It was uh, very common. And Boaz was going before them to get this matter settled. So he goes before the gate. He sat down there. He's waiting. He's just kind of sitting and waiting. What's he waiting for? Well, he's waiting for this kinsman. He's waiting for the man that has the right to to redeem Ruth. It's the gate of the city. People go in and out of the city all the time. He expects to see him. And there he does. He comes by. Verse 1. The kinsman of whom Boaz spake came by unto whom he said, Ho, such a one. Turn aside. Sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. We do not know who this man is. Now, maybe we could study all the genealogies of Scripture and maybe we could perhaps come up with the name of somebody related to Elimelech of the tribe of Judah. But probably not. No one that I know has found a name. And you know, it really doesn't matter. Because this man fell into the the anonymous annals of history. 
He had an opportunity to redeem a virtuous young woman, to be a part of God's plan, and we'll see in a moment, he rejects that opportunity. So he's known in Scripture as Ho Such a One. That's it. He's Ho Such a One. There's the man. He said, turn aside, Boaz says. Sit down here. And he turned aside and sat him here. He said, hey, you, you, yeah. And he knew him. I mean, this was his relative. This was one of his, his kinsmen. They're both related to Elimelech. Whoever host such a one is, host such a one was um, closer related to Elimelech than Boaz was related to Elimelech. But Boaz knew host such a one. But he didn't call him his name. He just called him host such a one. Or at least the scriptures called him host such a one. And so he took ten men, the scriptures say, of the elders of the city and said, sit ye down here. And they sat down here. So here's the ten elders of the city and Boaz is sitting here and host such a one is sitting there. And he said, verse 3, unto the kinsmen, Naomi, that is come out of the country of Moab, selleth a parcel of land, which was our brother Elimelech's. Turn with me to Numbers chapter 27. Look at me in verse 1. This is the account of Zelophehad and his daughters. Then came the daughters of Zelophehad, the son of Hefer, the son of Gilead, the son of Maker, the son of Manasseh, and the families of Manasseh, the sons of Joseph. And these are the names of his daughters, Mala, Noah, and Hogla, and Milcah, and Terza. And they stood before Moses, and before Eleazar the priest, and before the princes, and all the congregation by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, saying, Our father died in the wilderness, and he was not in the company of them that gathered themselves together against the Lord in the company of Korah, but died in his own sin, and had no sons. Why should the name of our father be done away from among his family, because he hath no son? Give unto us, therefore, a possession among the brethren of our father. And Moses brought their cause before the Lord. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, The daughters of Zelophehad speak right. Thou shalt surely give them possession of an inheritance among their father's brethren, and thou shalt cause the inheritance of their father to pass unto them. And thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel, saying, If a man die and have no son, then yet, then ye shall cause his inheritance to pass unto his daughter. And if he have no daughter, then ye shall give his inheritance unto his brethren. And if he have no brethren, then ye shall give his inheritance unto his father's brethren. And if his father's have no brethren, then ye shall give his inheritance unto his kinsman that is next to him of his family, and he shall possess it, and it shall be unto the children of Israel a statute and a judgment, as the Lord commanded. And so we see this statute whereby a person passes down the the inheritance of the land from one to another, from a man to his son. If a man dies and he has no sons, which is uh, not the circumstance we see here, Elimelech died, he had sons, passed down to his sons, his sons died, and there was no inheritance for them. It did not pass to the wives. So it did not pass to Naomi, nor did it pass to Ruth. However, they get back into the land and there is this land. And this land is theirs, but it needs to be redeemed. What makes this a sticky situation is that it's not just the land passing. There has to be a leveret marriage here as well. It has to be the redemption of the woman, not just the land. It has to be the possessions of these people. Now, because of this, because there was a wife of marriage age, 
the land would not just become the possession of the brethren. Now in Numbers chapter 27, if all of these circumstances were in place, then the land would just become the possession of Ho such a one. That would be great. We'll see in a moment. Ho such a one loves that idea. The land becomes mine. That's wonderful. I get more land. But because Ruth is here, and because she is of redemption age, she can still have children, she is still marriageable, that means that the Leveret law is also in effect. Not just the redemption law of the land, but the Leveret law is in effect. And this is very important because this is what is going to make or break Ho such a one's decision. Verse 3. And he said unto the kinsman, Naomi, that is, come out of the country of Moab, selleth a parcel of land, which was our brother's Elimelech's. And I thought to advertise thee, saying, Buy it for the inhabitants, and before the elders of my people, before the inhabitants, excuse me, and before the elders of my people, if thou wilt redeem it, redeem it. But if thou wilt not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is none to redeem it beside thee, and I am after thee. And he said, I will redeem it. Even if it's, even if Naomi is a part of the deal because she needs to be taken care of, that's okay. He can provide for her. That's not a problem. Then Boaz says in verse 5, Then said Boaz, What day thou buyest the field of the hand of Naomi, thou must buy it also of Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. If you like to mark in your Bible, mark that his. That's the big problem. His inheritance. Because Ruth's son, if she had a son, would eventually receive the land, that would mean that if this man received the land into his own, certainly he'd be able to profit from from the um, sell the crops and such, but he would have to invest his own capital in running this farm, in getting this farm up to snuff, and in building up an inheritance which would one day then pass out of his family and to the son of Ruth. This was a problem for him. Verse 6, And the kinsman said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I mar mine own inheritance. Redeem thou my right for, to thyself, for I cannot redeem it. This man is known throughout Scripture as Ho such a one because in his selfishness, he refused to do the duty that was called upon him to do. Make no mistake, this man was being disobedient to the Lord. And he falls into obscurity in Scripture, whereas Ruth and Boaz will be exalted for their obedience. Now, verse 7. Now this was the manner in former time in Israel concerning redeeming and concerning changing. For to confirm all things, a man plucked off his shoe and gave it to his neighbor, and it, this was a testimony in Israel. Therefore the kinsman said unto Boab, Buy it for thee. So he drew off his shoe. Turn with me to Deuteronomy 25. They were doing something that the law expected, but they weren't doing it quite right. Deuteronomy 25 is where we see this manner, this custom, Look at me in verse 5. If brethren dwell together and one of them die and have no child, the wife of the dead shall not marry without unto a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go in unto her and take her to him to wife and 
perform the duty of an husband's brother unto her. And it shall be that the firstborn which she beareth shall succeed in the name of his brother which is dead, that his name be not put out of Israel. And if the man like not to take his brother's wife, then let his brother's wife go up to the gate unto the elders and say, My husband's brother refuseth to raise up unto his brother a name in Israel. He will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. Then the elders of his city shall call him and speak unto him, and if he stand to it and say, I like not to take her, then shall this his brother's wife come unto him in the presence of the elders and loose his shoe from off his foot and spit in his face and shall answer and say, So shall it be done unto the man that will not build up his brother's house. And his name shall be called in Israel the house of him that hath his shoe loosed. So, though the custom is in place, the man takes off his shoe and gives it to Boaz, that's not really what was supposed to happen here. What was supposed to happen here is that Ruth was supposed to go to the elders and say, I need to be redeemed, and that's the man to do it. And the elders would call Hosacha one in, and they'd say, look, Hosacha one you're supposed to do this. And he says, but I don't want to. And they say, well, you, you need to. He says, but I don't want to. And if he refuses to relent, then they were supposed to take him to this town square, as it were, and everyone was supposed to watch as she loosed his shoe from off his foot, and then she spit in his face. Complete dishonor. A woman spitting in his face and because he would not do his duty of raising up seed for his brother. And then his name was supposed to be changed. He was no longer supposed to be such a one. He was supposed to be the house of him that hath a shoe loosed. That would be a bit harder to say over and over again. But he's no longer such a one. He's now the house of him who's had his shoe loosed. Regardless, this is dishonor. This is, this is not a good thing. Although this doesn't happen. Ruth doesn't spit in his face. She doesn't loose his shoe. Um, apparently the custom had been watered down somewhat substantially. Um, he just loosed his shoe and gave it to Boaz and that was sufficient for the custom. Uh, he probably didn't even have the disgrace and dishonor that was due unto his name for not redeeming his brethren's wife as he ought to have done and not raising up seed unto his brethren as was his duty. Now, we can learn some lessons from this. I can't help but think of the way that this man had such a temporal outlook in life. Placing the things of this earth above the things of God. You know, the scriptures tell us that they that sow to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. They that sow to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And you know that reaping is not always speedily seen. Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus Christ is rehearsing the Sermon on the Mount, the blessings. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are um, the, the poor. All of those. It's not always immediate how these, the, the, the realization of these blessings on this earth. Hebrews chapter 11 tells us that those that died in faith, having not received the promise, but having seen it afar off, and believed that that which God had promised, He was able also to perform. 
And so Hosachawan was a man who yielded the spiritual blessings of obedience for the temporal benefits of money and land. And I guess as we think about that, the question is, how often do we do the same thing? How often does something that the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, that act of disobedience, that act of rebellion, that harboring of bitterness, that anger, that refusal to do what God has called us to do, our unwillingness to share the gospel with others, our unwillingness to to disciple our um, whatever, that pet sin that you have. How often do we take the field instead of obeying the Word of God? Now, if such a one had been a man of God, he would have said, you know what? This is going to mar my inheritance. But this is what God commanded us to do. Deuteronomy 25. And so even though it's going to mar my inheritance, I'm going to obey. And then we would have seen such a one in the genealogy of Christ. But we didn't see him in the genealogy of Christ because he didn't obey. And you know, so often I think we do things and we confess and forsake and that's good and we ought to when we sin. But do we really understand what our sin is doing? We will never, until the day that we stand in glory, fathom what God could have done with us or would have done with us if only we had chosen Him instead of the world. If only we had chosen Him and obedience instead of disobedience. And it's those choices we make every day where we say, I know this is what God wants me to do, but this is what I want to do. And you know what? It may have worked out for Ho such a one. He got his, he still had his inheritance. He lived till the end of his days. But little did he know what he lost. Little did he know what God could have and would have done through him if only he had done what God had expected the kinsman redeemer to do. Verse 9. So Boaz said unto the elders and unto all the people, Ye are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Kilion's and, and Malon's of the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of Malon, this is the first time where we see which man she was married to. She was married to Malon, which was the elder son, He's, uh, I believe. Um, if we... Go back, let me see. He is listed first um, in the initial uh, record. Two sons, Malon and Kilion. Most likely he was the eldest. So she was married to Malon. Moreover, verse 10, Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of Malon, have I purchased to be my wife, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance, that the name of the dead be not cut off from among his brethren, and from the gate of his place ye are witnesses this day. 
And all the people that were in, in the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. The Lord make the woman that is come into thine house like Rachel and like Leah, who, which too did build the house of Israel. And do thou worthily in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. So they bless her. They bless him of her. Um, saying, let, let his house be like the house of Rachel, or the woman that is coming to the house be like Rachel and Leah, those, those who built the house of Israel. And then they said in verse 12, which is kind of ironic and unique, and let thy house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bare unto Judah, of the seed which the Lord shall give thee of this young woman. And that's kind of an interesting uh, parallel because um, Perez was a man, uh, was born of Tamar, and Tamar had Perez with Judah, and the reason why she had the child with Judah, she had to deceive Judah because Judah would not honor the Leveret marriage process. Tamar's husband died and because he displeased the Lord. And so Judah gave her to um, his brother. And of course, this was before the law. This was before the Leveret marriage was put in place, but obviously it was still expected by God. So Tamar's husband dies. She marries his younger brother. He dies because he displeases the Lord. And Judah says, wait until my next youngest grows up and then he'll marry you. Next youngest grows up and Judah does not give him, her to him. And so she deceives Judah. They have a child together and that is Pharaoh. So it was his actual failure at the Leveret marriage. So it's interesting that they would claim it. However, they were of the house of Judah and Pharaoh was the father of the house of Judah, as it were. And so that's what they're doing here. That's how they're, that's what the blessing is about. Um, but we also see here specifically the contrast. You take that account, which if you're interested is in Genesis chapter 38, and you take that account and you take this account and you see the tremendous contrast between that which Judah did, the father of this tribe, and that which his son, 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 son did, Boaz, when Boaz accepted and properly observed the Leveret marriage. So Boaz, verse 13, took Ruth, and she was his wife. And when he went in unto her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bare a son. And the woman said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. I want you to take note of who this kinsman is that they're speaking of. So it says, a kinsman that his name, that this kinsman's name might be famous in Israel. Let's continue reading. And he, this kinsman, shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life and a nourisher of thine old age for thy daughter-in-law. Now, up to this point, who would you assume this kinsman is that they're speaking of? Anyone? Jared. That's not who I would have assumed. I was assuming for years, Boaz, you're right, it's the son. I would have assumed Boaz. Boaz was the kinsman. And that they're blessing Boaz here. But Jared's right, it's the son. But we don't really see it. I mean, we, we see uh, he's not left thee a kinsman, that his name may be famous. He shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life and a nourisher of thine old age. For thy daughter-in-law, which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons, hath borne him. So now this boy is called the Redeemer. Whereas Boaz redeemed Ruth, this young man is said to be Naomi's Redeemer. That through this young man, she again 
has the opportunity to have a, have a family in Israel, to have a heritage in Israel. Something that was absolutely imperative to the women in Israel. And not only that, but she would then become, by proxy, she's not in the genealogy, but by proxy, she would become a part of the redemption of Israel through Christ. For it was Ruth who would eventually, a couple generations later, um, be the, she would be the, what, the great, great, great grandmother of David, who of course is in the line of Christ. It says, and then it says, better thee than seven sons. Whenever you see seven in the scriptures, when they say, may he be better, that, that Ruth is better than seven sons to Naomi, they're talking about completion. It's that number of completion. It's that number of perfection. So, she is the epitome of goodness to Naomi in that she bore him this son, in that she was redeemed. She's caring for Naomi. Naomi uh, has been completely redeemed by this young boy. Uh, verse 16, And Naomi took the child and laid it in her bosom and became nurse unto it. And the woman, women, her neighbors, gave it a name, saying, This, there is a son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. And so not only is this a story of... I mean, this is a story of redemption, the, the, the redemption of redemptions here. We see... The redemption of Rahab, who was Boaz's mother, and the end of that story. We see the redemption of Ruth, redeemed by Boaz. We see the redemption of Naomi, who was redeemed by Obed. And as we trace the genealogy, we see the redemption of all mankind by Jesus Christ who would come out of the line of David, who came out of the line of Judah, Boaz, and Ruth, and Rahab, and Salmon being a part of that. And so we see the genealogy here at the end, putting all the pieces together. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez begat Hezron, and Hezron begat Ram, and Ram begat Aminadab, and Aminadab begat Nashon, and Nashon begat Salmon, and Salmon begat Boaz, and Boaz begat Obed, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David. The end. I point your attention as we close in the book of Ruth again to the contrast between what we saw in the book of Ruth and what we see throughout the rest of the book of Judges. We know the book of Ruth takes place early in Judges because Rahab, the harlot, was there right at the beginning of the conquest in Jericho. And it was her son that marries Ruth. And so this happens very early in the time period of the the Judges. It probably even happens before the Levite that goes with the tribe of Dan that ends up most likely probably being Moses' grandson. Might be about the same time. Probably happens earlier than the Civil War with Benjamin. Possibly about the same time. 
And it certainly happens then earlier than Gideon and Jephthah and Deborah and Barak and all that stuff that we had learned about for months and months and months. But what a contrast. And what an incredible way to trace the righteous line of men through the wickedness. See, God always has His remnant. And may that be an encouragement to us today. We look around at the world around us and you know it's not a good place. And as I just read that article uh, in regard to uh, music and the, mu- the contemporary Christian music industry and uh, how they admit themselves that it's driven by money and of course cannot serve God and mammon. As we think about those things, we say, this is a terrible time at least for the church in the Western world. This is a time of tremendous weakness, and yet God has its remnant, and this church is a part of that. Thank God, by His grace, God has raised up a church in Buffalo, Minnesota that is a part of His remnant. That is still doing what's right in the midst of a wicked and perverse nation which is what God has called us to be and what God has called us to do. And here we see Ruth and Boaz doing what's right. And Salmon and Rahab doing what's right in the midst of a rebellious and a wicked and a perverse nation. We're going to start a series in Ezekiel here in just a couple of weeks. I believe it's been pushed back at least to the first week of October. might be the second week of October now, depending on how things go in the next couple of weeks. But we're going to start Ezekiel soon. What we'll see as we get to Ezekiel is when when God calls the prophet Ezekiel, He says, you are going to be a mouthpiece for God. You're going to say, thus saith the Lord, though this people is a rebellious people and they have been a rebellious people since the day I brought them out of Egypt. We are in a nation of rebellion. But God has its remnant. Let's, Let's not... When we look at this world, it's important to understand the Judah, the, the judges, the, the cycle of apostasy, the dangers that we can fall into, but it's imperative that we always remember that God has its remnant. And He will until the day that He returns.